Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, it is good to see you all here today. We're in the final of four uh, messages we've been doing through the month of August. We've been looking through four healing stories in the Gospel of Luke and just exploring what it what it means to, frankly, come to Jesus and ask for healing, but also what we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to understand it when maybe the answer isn't what we expected. And so we've been trying to live in the midst of that tension and been covering a lot of ground over the last number of weeks. Through these healing stories along with other stories that we find out about in the Gospels, where we we see Jesus interacting with people or engaging different people, through all these stories, but particularly healing stories, they point out four primary truths about Jesus. We've talked about this before. I'm repeating what we've said before, but I know that we're a bit hit and miss in the summer, and I just want to make sure we're a little bit caught up. These four truths that are revealed about Jesus are, Frankly, his greatness, his goodness, his intention, and his identity. Very quickly, we see when Jesus touches someone and they're healed, or he speaks a word and and there's change in their lives, we see how great Jesus really is. That he has authority over disease. He has authority over winds and waves. That he is so great and so powerful that he can speak a word. And someone who's been, you know, covered in a skin disease or, or bleeding for years, they are healed. They are cured. There is change that happens. We, we see how great he really is. But we also see how he uses his incredible power for good, to bring healing, to bring restoration, that he's not like other kings who use their greatness to crush people. Rather, he's the king who uses his greatness for the good of all, even to his own detriment, right? So he uses his greatness for good. He's great, he's good. And then we talked at length about how healing stories reveal his, his intention, particularly his good intention. And what we see is that Jesus does things, particularly in these healing stories, he does for one, for one person what he then intends to do for all. And what we see in these healing stories are like little previews or tastes of what will come in the final resurrection in particular. That what we see happen when people are freed and when people are are restored, that's like a little snippet of what God has promised to do and guaranteed through the death and resurrection of Christ, what he's promised to do for all, not only all people, but all of his creation. So that's God's uh, good intention, that we don't just have to suffer and decaying bodies and that's the end, but we look forward to the resurrection hope we have in Jesus. So Jesus has good intentions. We see that in the healing stories. And then, of course, healing stories reveal his identity, that he's the king of heaven and earth that's come and is living among uh, people, and, and he's revealing his identity to them through his actions. In particular, in the healings, we see how the, the Son of God was sent by his Father and is now empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin new creation right now. And, and new creation is beginning to blossom up, and he's announcing that the kingdom of God is here, and these, these healings point to who he is. 
So Jesus is great, he's good, he has wonderful intentions for all because of who he is, the king of heaven and earth. And these healing stories help us see all that. that we've, been, we've been seeing this as we've gone through. Well, in our final story today, really practically, we want to look at a simple or a helpful model for healing prayer. Because one of the concerns I had through the series this August is that we would leave this series, as it were, feeling more equipped to just faithfully pray for each other, um, faithfully pray for our own needs, to, that we would feel more confidence in that. And I, I think this story today really helps us. It actually is a model you can use for any kind of prayer, any kind of concern that you have, but I'm particular uh, for healing prayer. Uh, so we're going to look through that. And then I'm going to take some time. I told you I do this last week. Take some time for your questions. Not that I'm like the Bible answer man who has answered all of them, but that I'd like to hear what some of your questions are, and then we can at least grapple with them a bit uh, here in our time together. So uh, I'll present the model, and I'll take some questions, and then we're, of course, going to move uh, to the Lord's table together where we'll have an opportunity to receive communion, but also receive prayer. And there'll be two teams of people available to pray with you uh, if, if you would like that. So that's where we're heading. We're going to dive into today's story. It's found in Luke chapter 18. If you have a Bible, you can look it up there. It's the third of the books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, if you have it on a phone, it's Luke chapter 18. There are a few Bibles in the, in the bottoms of some of the chairs, too. You might want to look it up. It goes like this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked What was happening? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? It's beautiful. It reveals right there, we've heard it, Jesus' greatness, his goodness, his intention, his identity. But it also, I think, gives us a helpful model for healing prayer. Now, I, I say model, not formula. Can we, can we parse out the difference just a little bit? A model is like a simple way that we can use to approach prayer. It helps us maybe come with faith to ask and with trust to ask Jesus to meet our need. It's not a formula in the sense that it doesn't guarantee a result. You know, just do this. If you just follow it and you say it the right way, and you do it in the right order, and you you know raise your left foot, whatever, then God will somehow answer you exactly how you thought, right? That's, you know what that's called? Magic. We don't believe in that. Christians don't believe in magic. Uh, it's not, uh, it has no place in a trusting relationship. It's not about forcing God to respond if I just do it the right way and I've got to learn that. No, no. That's a formula. We reject that. But a model can be very helpful. You know, the Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer. 
When Jesus offered the, 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 you know, the prayer to the disciples, the disciples said, teach us how to pray, and he offers them, that's a great model for prayer that we can, we can follow. Just, just pray the Lord's Prayer, but also you can follow as a model for prayer, and you can, you can watch how it unfolds, and you can, you can form your prayer around that, and it's a way of teaching us how to pray. It's a great model for prayer. Again, though, not a formula. There's other models, too, that are really helpful. And today's story, I think, offers us a faithful way to bring our needs to Jesus. So let's go back over the story and see how this model emerges. First, we cry out for Jesus' mercy, knowing that he hears us. We cry out for Jesus' mercy, knowing that he hears us. You know, even though Jesus was thronged with fans, and that's quite common for Jesus in the Gospels, especially when he was going from place to place or arriving in a new city, This blind man, he just bellows it out there. So much so that people are trying to shut him down, right? He must have really been letting go. I love it. People are trying to shush him and come on, buddy, you know, get a grip, move out of the way. He just got louder. And his cry was a cry of faith. You know, many have pointed out how his cry out to Jesus was rooted in Jesus' identity as the son of David which has, has both royal and messianic overtones. It's kind of a hint, perhaps even from Luke, the writer himself, that this blind man was able to see something about Jesus that many other people weren't actually seeing, even though he was blind. He was able to identify something, and he calls out, rooted in a faith in this Jesus, who is the son of David. And it's connected to hope, the hope of Israel, that God would come and would rescue them. It's all connected there. And his cry here in this gospel, his cry, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It actually became a prayer in the Christian church, like over the centuries. It developed into a a bit of a set prayer, a simple prayer that anyone could use when they're in a difficult circumstance. You can use it when you're in any kind of difficult circumstance. Now, the prayer that Jesus prayers, it's called, it expanded a little bit beyond this original story to become Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Anyone ever heard that before? If you grew up in maybe an Orthodox tradition or a Catholic tradition, you may have heard it. But it's Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And how this um, Jesus prayer came about is just a little earlier in the same chapter of Luke, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable, a story, about two men who go up to the temple to pray. And one guy is very religious and the other guy is very not. And, and the very religious guy, he goes up to pray, but what he really does is he spends a whole lot of time praising himself. Thank you, God, that I'm awesome, is what he says. Really. But the other guy, he's, it says, it says he, Jesus says he can't even lift his head. And he just says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's his prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one of those men went home right with God. And it was, it was the sinner. God have mercy on me. So what happened is, uh, these two prayers, as it were, became merged together. If you take the prayer from that parable, and you take the blind man's prayer here, and you push them together, what emerged through you know, a few centuries of, of Christian practice was this beautiful uh, yet simple 
prayer called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I wanted to say it's a wonderful way of coming to Jesus in any kind of circumstance, but in particular when you're coming to him because you're, 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 you're in desperate need. Maybe you're in need of healing. You're in need of some particular uh, thing in your life. You can come and ask for mercy, confident in Jesus' identity, confident in his, in, his good intention, his greatness and his goodness, but also very honest about who you are. You don't need to hide. You can say, I'm a mess. Like I botched it up on Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon, three times on Thursday, Friday I don't even want to think about. You know what I'm saying? You can be honest about who you are. Honest about who he is. You can come and you can cry out. So using this Jesus prayer is a great way to approach God with our needs. Next, we clarify what we want. When Jesus heard this blind man crying out, he calls him to his side. He then asks this provocative question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, the story happens really quick, but at that moment, we want to just pause and say, Jesus is so wise to ask this of this man. And he is so wise to ask it of us. What do you want me to do for you? When we've cried out to Jesus for his mercy, it is important to clarify what exactly are we asking for. Sometimes that can seem really obvious, but it's not always as clear as we think. I mean, how many times have I been asking God for a certain thing when, hmm, the answer's not coming like I thought it should, and I keep asking, I keep asking, I keep asking, and then all of a sudden, as I'm, well, maybe not all of a sudden, maybe it takes a while, I suddenly begins to dawn on me as the Holy Spirit's, you know, reflecting back, that I realize, oh, Maybe that's not exactly what I want. Maybe that's not exactly what I need. Maybe that's not exactly what Jesus wants because it's not exactly what I need. Are you following me? What do you want me to do for you helps us grapple with what is actually going on here. What is my actual need? Back in my first message in the series, I I outlined uh, a bunch of different reasons why people maybe don't receive the answer they'd hoped for. Good ones and bad ones, you might remember. Well, one of the possible reasons why we keep coming back and asking for prayer is because, and, 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 and God keeps, you know, waiting or, or maybe, maybe pushing back a bit. It's because somehow through the persistent prayer, we can hear Jesus asking us again and again, what do you want me to do for you? What is it that you really, really want? We might find out that it isn't what we had originally thought or isn't what we had most obviously thought, and we, we can be confident, because we are confident in God's goodness and Jesus' good intention for us, we be confident that he's not going to give us something that would wreck us. So if we're asking for something that would wreck us, he's not going to give it to you, because he loves you. And you may not fully understand why that's true, but we can be confident that he will never give us something that will harm us, and so we can keep asking that question, hearing him ask it of us. So hear the question. We come to him for mercy. Hear that question from Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Hear it. He's got your attention. You have his attention. He's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And then, of course, we can tell him. (laughs) And maybe we aren't right sometimes. That's okay. Tell him anyway. He knows. He can figure it out. We ask him for what we need. We ask him very simply and with complete trust. He fully understands What's going on? We don't need to dress it up. I like how this blind man, he couldn't have said it. Well, he maybe could have said it sim- simpler. He could have just said, see, 
And he says, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. Which is, again, we've stated this in other stories. It's like, isn't that obvious? But maybe it wasn't. Lord, I want to see. And so we're invited to just tell Jesus what we actually need. What we want him to do for us. And to be confident that he hears us. He really does. He really hears. I mean, one of the things that has come out very clear through these gospel stories is how Jesus hears people. People who others aren't hearing. He sees people who others aren't seeing. He really does hear and see you and me. And we can come with confidence knowing that. Uh, there's a letter later on in the New Testament, anonymously penned, called the letter to the Hebrews. And in this um, letter, uh, the, the writer goes to great lengths to compare Jesus and say how much better Jesus is than everything. But in particular, he's talking about the priesthood and the, the system in which people would come um, to um, offer sacrifices and how Jesus is better than that. And he's better than everything. He's better than the high priest. And, and one of the things he focuses in on at the end of chapter 4 is how Jesus, because he's... Uh, Become like one of us. He's very empathetic with us in our suffering and our struggles. He knows what it's like to be in a tough spot. He knows what it's like to be desperate. He knows what it's like to hurt. And because he's that kind of a high priest, because he's so deeply empathetic, we're then invited this way at the very end of chapter 4 of Hebrews. He says, the writer says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach with confidence so we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We're just invited to simply ask. And then to receive. To receive what he gives, trusting fully in him. This blind man receives sight from Jesus. Now he can see. Now he can see Jesus. And he sees him and he follows him and he gives praise to God. When we come to Jesus, crying out for his mercy, clarifying our need and then asking him to meet that need, we then can receive from his good hand exactly what it is that he wants to give to us. Of course, through this series in August, this has been the crux of our struggle. As we've tried to understand healing real healing that Jesus does heal today in the context of pre-full resurrection. There are times when Jesus heals today like he did in the Gospels. There's other times when what we've asked for doesn't seem to occur the way we had hoped. And how do we live in the midst of that? A few weeks ago we explored that this is because we live in an overlap. Old creation uh, is coming to an end. And in the coming of Christ, its end has been signaled. And Jesus destroyed death through his death and resurrection. But Old creation continues and we still live in in a world that's broken where our bodies still break and our hearts still ache and there's still relationships that are destroyed and there's, there's war and there's trouble. But we know that that has been fully destroyed in Christ, but we haven't yet seen it completely eliminated. But we also know that new creation has come. In the coming of Christ, in the gift of His Holy Spirit, new creation has come, which is eliminating and will eventually completely destroy death and disease. And it'll all come to an end eventually, but we live now as God's people right here in the overlap. We live where old creation still exists and we still struggle, but new creation has begun in Christ and will be fully. And we live experiencing in our lives this preview of of the new creation that's come and yet hasn't fully come because the resurrection hasn't fully come. We live in 
in the overlap. And we talked about that. But we can receive. We can come and receive. So what do we receive from Jesus? Well, first of all, when we come to Jesus with open hands, ready to receive what he has for us, we receive his love, his grace, his forgiveness. We receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. We receive his wisdom, his cleansing, his assurance that we've been adopted into his family as the Holy Spirit enters us and we can now address the Father as Jesus himself did. And there's this wonderful assurance that we are now part of the family of God. We can come to him, and this is true, every time we can receive from him the gift of love poured into our lives by the Holy Spirit, the assurance of our adoption. We can receive peace that passes understanding. Even when we don't fully get what's going on, we know that God is with us and he's working through this on our behalf. We can receive all of that. And I believe that through that, This can also function as an important feedback loop for us. That as we are there receiving, we can discover this is actually what the Holy Spirit's been wanting to give us all along. This is what Jesus has been trying to help me understand all along. In fact, this is the greater work that he's doing. But we also can receive his gift of healing. And there are people right here in our community and others who can testify that they've come for healing and Jesus touched their body and they've been freed from things that they were not Uh, They were, you know, constantly struggling with before. And so we can receive real healing in our lives, sometimes instantly, sometimes over time. Sometimes we receive special insight into what the Lord is doing through our struggle and in our struggle. Sometimes we even receive a specific word where Jesus says, yeah, I know that this is going on, but because of this struggle, you were able to testify to me in a powerful way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. As Esther put it to me the other day, Your sickness can become the very platform from which God is able to testify to his goodness in others' lives. And there are many people who can tell you that that's exactly how God has used them in a powerful way. We can receive all of that from Jesus. A gift of grace knowing that he is going to be with us in the struggle and he has promised us resurrection to come. The key in all of this is trust. Are we willing to trust his good intentions for us? may not be exactly what we asked for, but we can be confident in his love for us, that his intention for us is all good. I had a beautiful time this week uh, with Bill Plant. Bill's passing. We know this. And this week, um, to my surprise, Bill said, I want to pray for you, which you've got to know is one of the most amazing experiences to be prayed for someone who is on their deathbed. And Bill prayed this amazing prayer, long prayer, uh, he got a second wind, a preacher, preacher wind. I don't know. It was amazing. He prayed an amazing prayer. I wish I'd pressed record on my phone or something and caught it. But I gotta tell you, the prayer he prayed was such an incredible prayer of beautiful trust. Where he was able to say, Lord Jesus, I, I give to you again my whole life. I am fully yours and I trust. It was just a beautiful prayer of trust. And I think that speaks volumes to the love and grace of Jesus, to the faithfulness of Bill, to the reminder that we stand in brokenness with the hope of resurrection. The question is, are we willing to trust his good intentions for us? And then we praise God. 
We praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We respond with gratitude to how Jesus has heard us, how He's responded to our cry, what He's done for us already through His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, the gift of His Holy Spirit, what He continues to do for us as He intercedes at the right hand of the Father for us and sends the gift of the Holy Spirit to intercede from within us and bring new creation to us. These are things that we praise Him for even as we suffer and as we groan on this side of resurrection. We end in praise because Jesus is always worthy of praise. The Father is always worthy of our glory and our our praise and our honor, no matter what happens. We praise Him for being who He is, what He's done for us, what He is doing in us, confident that He's working out all things for the good of those who love Him. Be that healing now, be that healing later, be that healing through diet, medicine, exercise, healing through our final resurrection. Jesus is Great. He's good. He has good intentions for us. He's working them out even now for us sinners. So that's a simple model for healing prayer. Just to repeat it, we cry out to Jesus, confident he's here, He hears us. We clarify in response to Jesus' probing question. We, we ask, knowing that He fully understands our need. We receive what He gives, fully trusting in Him. And we praise Him because He's worthy of it. And I hope that's helpful for you. I hope that you can take that and apply it to a variety of, of, of concerns you have in your life, whether it's healing or relational difficulty or some ongoing struggle that you carry, that you can take this as a helpful model for approaching with faithfulness to the Jesus who hears you. Well, I'd like to take a few minutes and take some of your questions before we go to communion. Do you have particular questions about healing? It can be very practical questions. Uh, it can be theological. Uh, whatever, whatever struggle, you, question you might have, um, uh, what I'm going to try to remember to do, and Jack, I told him to remind me, is I'm going to repeat the question so those who are listening to this recording later can hear what you've said. So maybe if you could keep your question somewhat succinct. I thought we'd have a mic, but we don't. So um, do you have questions about healing that you'd like to offer today? And I'll do my best to grapple with them. Any questions? Can healing come? Say that again, Val. Oh, great. Thank you. So can healing come without the spoken word is the question. I think I don't I don't fully know. I mean, what we see in the Gospels is this and what we see in um, in the New Testament teaching is typically there there is spoken word or but but also what we see in, in the life of Jesus is he seems to approach each person uniquely. Right. It seems like one person he touches, another person, uh, it's from a distance, although it usually involves some kind of speaking. Um, and so there seems to be a variety and diversity of ways. There's, again, it's not a formula. It's responding to the particular need. So I guess if there were a particular, uh, you know, say through the written word or some sort of communication conveyed, uh, I, I, I mean, the Holy Spirit can do amazing things. It seems what's typical is that people are able to hear the word and respond to it in some way, however they're able to do that. I mean, I could imagine if someone uh, you know, was unable to hear for some reason uh, that there might be another way to communicate. Uh, I think the key is that people hear somehow, uh, hear of God's love for them in Christ and are invited to respond in some way. And that's just true across the board. So how that happens, I think, can be different depending on the person and depending on how the Holy Spirit leads. But what we see consistent through the story of Scripture is that people are somehow invited to respond, and however that might happen. Thanks, Val. 
Other questions? Thanks. So, uh, question is, what should, should you say to someone who asks, why isn't Jesus, or why doesn't Jesus heal this particular person, or, or heal me? I mean, basically the question we've been grappling with. How do you answer that? Some of that, I mean, I think there are short answers and long answers to that. I mean, the truth is, we don't really have the answer to that lots of times, right? Like, we don't have, like, well, this is why. I mean, we get in trouble, in fact, when we try to nail it down like that. I mean, sometimes there are reasons uh, that might be more obvious, and maybe in a relationship with that person, you can explore some of those. I mean, there are times when people are asking for an answer, and you can kind of see, well, I can see why Jesus isn't going to say yes to that, because frankly, it would ruin your life. Really. Or you can see things that they're doing that are actually causing the harm that they're asking for a solution for. And you think, well, I think actually there's something else Jesus might be wanting to do in your life. And so we can see all that. But when, when there's the kind of situation like Bill or like others in our community where we think, this doesn't make any sense to me. It, it makes logical sense to me that if this person were healed, it would be better for everybody. That just makes sense. And I think it's at those times we have to trust that Jesus knows better than we do. That Jesus fully understands what's going on. And there could be reasons for this, or there could be a broader reason that he's asking or inviting a person to walk through suffering as a witness to him. I don't know the answers to that. I know there are certain groups and and there are certain perspectives that will give a very clear-cut answer to that. And I just want to say that there are times when I think there's clear-cut answers and we need to discern that from the Holy Spirit. But there are other times we have to say, I don't fully know why it is. Uh, I know that we're invited to ask. We're invited to even ask and ask and ask. But we always can say that we can trust that Jesus has good intentions for us, that he's always working for our behalf. And if there are times when he doesn't answer the way we had hoped he would, we have to reiterate again our trust in his goodness and say, well, let's identify what we know is true. Do we believe, based on everything we've understood from Jesus, that he would just hold out on us to make us suffer? As in, just make you suffer because I like to see you squirm. There's nothing about Jesus. Now, he will allow us to suffer for greater purposes. That's really true. But it's always for our good and for the good of his mission, for the good of others. It's never out of malicious intent or desire to just make you hurt. There's something greater that Jesus is doing. And in those times when we can't understand it, we have to, tr- we have to trust in that. And we have to look more deeply into what it means for us to suffer and have the Holy Spirit living in our groaning bodies, crying out, uh, interceding on our behalf, and yet still experiencing the tension of this overlap that we've talked about. Other questions? Chuck? So the Bible, what does the Bible say about hands-on is the question. So... What it says, Chuck, is what it, two things. One, we see that Jesus often laid hands on people. And when appropriate, you can imagine times when that might not be appropriate, when appropriate, I think we can ask people, like, can I put my hand on your shoulder or on your head and pray for them? But again, it's not magic. So we also see examples of people being healed without a touch. So it's not like, A formula where it's like, well, there's got to be a touch. You know, if there's not flesh-on-flesh contact, somehow the Holy Spirit can't heal. That's not true. 
But what we see is a common practice is that people have receive a laying on of hands, not just for healing. We see that for anointing for mission and we see that uh, for, for encouragement or calling into office. And we, there's different things like that. So I think that's a great, helpful practice. I think also it just reminds us that being touched in holy and appropriate ways is a good thing. And it's encouraging uh, to have, a, 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 you know, a, again, you want to be always respectful of people. And so you want to always ask, if you're praying for someone, you always want to ask, is, you know, is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? And it may be in some situations, particularly dealing with people who may have experienced abuse in their lives, where that's not appropriate. You shouldn't do it. Especially if uh, maybe, maybe to the opposite gender, or, or maybe to people who have struggled in, in certain uh, abusive relationships. We want to be careful about that. So never assume it. Always ask. And if appropriate, do it. But don't think that your prayer is going to be hindered if you don't. Other questions? Have I ever studied how the Pool of Sloam worked? No, I haven't. And actually, that little piece, the Pool of Sloam, is based on a manuscript fragment that was probably inserted later, right, to explain what was going on in John chapter 5 when this man tried to get into this pool and, and understand what was happening. Uh, but my understanding is, I mean, there's some interesting historical background, but what that story really shows is that however these efforts were working, when the Son of God showed up, that's when the man was healed, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So uh, just for the, those listeners uh, talking about... Um, particularly talking about indigenous peoples believing in uh, uh, the healing powers of a certain body of water. And I think you'll see that around the world. There are, there are places, special places. Um, sometimes water is connected to that. Other times it's not special things where there's a lot of faith put in that, that, that um, God or the spirits will heal them as a result. And sometimes they do. And I don't dispute that at all. God is amazing. Things happen. The world is strange. What's amazing, though, and we see in the Gospels that when Jesus shows up, all the efforts that people have taken to try to be healed but weren't, like the man in the Pool of Siloam, but also like the woman who was bleeding in, in, the, in the Synoptic Gospels, who had done everything she could and waste, not wasted, but used all her money and, and, and was at the end of her resources, comes to Jesus and finds healing. We find that all of these things perhaps point toward what Jesus is the fulfillment of. We have a desire to connect and be restored, Jesus comes on the scene and he is the one who connects and restores, which I think testifies to him, points to him. So these things we can see and discover in different cultures and different stories, different times, ultimately they're fulfilled in Christ, which I think is a beautiful testimony, beautiful witness. Last question? Eric. Okay, so the question is, are healing powers only attributable to God or does Satan or demonic powers have the ability to heal? That's the question. So, um, tricky question, hey? I, here's what I think about it, Eric, and, and, you know, we can explore different things, I guess. Ultimately, all good, I think, is sourced in God. True good, true healing is sourced in God. And I know that God, um, you can look around and see how God is able to use quite a variety of things to show people good to even bring healing and goodness into people's lives. And it can seem at times indiscriminate. I mean, 
even on a broad, more broad level, we, we can see in Scripture how, how um, we're told that the Father brings rain on the unjust and the just. And, and there's, there's provision in, the, in the, just the general grace of the world that we live in, the good world that we live in. And so it's not discriminated in that sense. So we can say all true good is sourced in the Father, in His good creation and His desire for people to experience grace. We also know that demonic powers who always seek to destroy can sometimes use counterfeit things to somehow win people's trust to themselves. And so I can imagine, and I've heard stories of people um, experiencing some kind of goodness, but perhaps there's something more uh, malignant at work. And even though there was a, a gain of some kind, there's a much greater loss you could, you could perhaps see in their lives. Um, Sometimes it's mysterious. Sometimes you think, well, I'm not sure what happened here. Uh, what I do know is my responsibility in this situation is to point people to Jesus. And if there's been some kind of healing that's come through some weird means that I don't... My job in that situation isn't to try to convince them that it didn't come from God. It came from... My job in that situation is to say, well, isn't that wonderful? Let's talk about Jesus. You know? Uh, because you and I you, we hear lots of strange things. And uh, I think in those situations, we just say, well, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Jesus healed people, too. <laughs> but more than that, he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. He, he pulled off the biggest miracle in all of history, predicted his own death, and then pulled it off. And so whatever happens in, in, in our lives now, that's been established, and we can point to that and say, the great healer went to the cross ultimately for our resurrection. We experience new creation now, but nothing compared to what's coming. Because no matter how much healing you experience now, no matter what you experience, even to the point of being raised from the dead now, guess what? Each and every one of you, someday, either I or someone else will be presiding over your funeral, and you will be stretched out or burned up. Dead. This is not in my notes. I did not expect to say this right now. <laughs> but I just point that out to say this. Look, yes, we can experience real healing now, and it can come in a variety of ways, but ultimately we all face death. And the question, the biggest question of all is, the Jesus who gave us this amazing preview and announced the kingdom of God has come. He did that so that we would place our full trust in Him, knowing that whatever happens to our bodies now, He has guaranteed us resurrection. What, he, what the Father did for Jesus, He's guaranteed to do for us, and all we have to do is trust Him for it. And that's amazing. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.